This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy to assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Another week, another few names added to the ever-growing list of Republicans running for president. I can't guarantee you success in what I'm about to do. On Tuesday, the former governor of New Jersey, Chris Christie, launched his campaign for the Republican nomination. Close behind, just 24 hours later, came the former vice president, Mike Pence. As your president, I will appoint men and women to our federal courts who will uphold all the God-given liberties enshrined in our Constitution. And coming in as one of the longer long shots of the week, the North Dakota governor, Doug Burgum, also launched his campaign on Wednesday. In all, there are now 10 candidates running for the nomination, and that tracks the 2016 race, when exactly 10 candidates had announced by this point. In an already crowded field, can any of them even make a dent in the lead of the front runner? I'm Jonathan Friedland, columnist at The Guardian, and this is Politics Weekly America. Well, I, I think it was a very, very clear choice given what uh, Donald Trump uh, represented. Um, as, as a never-Trumper, uh, that meant never Donald Trump. Uh, Charlie Sykes is the editor-at-large of the Bulwark, organ of the traditional conservative, never-Trump wing of American republicanism. A lifelong conservative, Charlie nevertheless voted for Joe Biden in 2020. Until we see something different, we have to assume that uh, Donald Trump uh, continues to control uh, the, the fate of the Republican Party and that uh, that his fellow Republicans have not yet figured out how to move him out. The, the prospect of Trump 2.0 um, ought to horrify most Americans of, of all political stripes because in Trump 2.0, you would, and I think this was David Frum's analogy, this would be like in Jurassic Park, where the velociraptors uh, figured out how to open the doors. Uh, Donald Trump has made no secret of what he would do as president. Uh, and so I don't think that it's going to be, a, would be a difficult choice in a general election. Uh, the big question, of course, is, is whether or not Republicans will, will force us to make that kind of choice again. Now, there are, by some counts, it depends who you count and how you count, but some 12 entrants in the field to be the Republican nominee. So, you know, Republicans on some level are spoiled for choice. But who does that hurt, That the sheer number? Who does it hurt and who does it help? Well, there's no question that a big field helps Donald Trump. Uh, Donald Trump needs a big field to divide the opposition. That's exactly what happened back in 2015 and 2016, where no one uh, wanted to get out of the race and no one wanted to attack him. Now, things are different in that respect this year. But 
a big field helps Donald Trump because he has a hardcore of the Republican base of at least 35, maybe 40 percent of the vote. So he could, as he did in 2016, roll to the nomination with a plurality, even with a majority of Republicans voting against him. So that's the big picture, though. But let's talk about the new entrants to the field, starting with the pugilistic former governor of New Jersey, Chris Christie. We have pretenders all around us who want to tell you, pick me, because I'm kind of like what you picked before, but not quite as crazy. He himself seems to say he's in there to be an attacking presence, aiming uh, very directly. Uh, uh, if he's an attack dog, he's uh, you know aiming at the ankles of Donald Trump. For these other pretenders, he is, for those of you who read the Harry Potter books, like Voldemort. <laughs> he is he who shall not be named. Just tell us, for people who are not absolutely immersed in this, who Chris Christie is, what kind of politician... Uh, he makes? Well, first of all, I don't think that Chris Christie is going for the ankles. I think what we saw was his willingness to go for the jugular. Um, and, and this is his style of, of politics. Now, let's stipulate that he's got a lot of baggage. Uh, let's also stipulate that he's not going to win the Republican nomination. He has no shot whatsoever. But he could still be a very consequential candidate because uh, he is going to aggressively attack Donald Trump. This is something that Donald Trump has not faced before. Uh, Chris Christie ran in 2016 and was reluctant, I think, to criticize Donald Trump. And then, of course, uh, famously endorsed him uh, in that campaign. He was the first major establishment Republican to endorse Donald Trump. So he played a significant role in advancing Donald Trump to that nomination. But now that he's broken with Trump, uh, he is the only candidate so far who has shown a willingness to punch as hard as uh, as Donald Trump punches. Everybody else sort of cringes or they hedge or they prevaricate, not Chris Christie. And by the way, I mean, I've been very, very critical of, of Christie and uh, and his appeasement of Trump and Trumpism. But uh, that was quite a political performance the other night and an indication that this is going to be worth watching. And what it makes you absolutely so certain that there is no chance at all uh, that he himself will make the nomination? Is it because his positions put him broadly on the kind of liberal wing of today's Republican Party? Or is it because in office as governor, he was plagued really by quite a few scandals, in one case accused of intentionally causing traffic on the main bridge uh, to New York in retaliation, a spat really with the local mayor who hadn't backed him. And also in this famous case of being accused of uh, intentionally causing traffic on the main bridge to New York in a local spat with a mayor who hadn't backed him. Uh, and Chris Christie himself was not uh, and never indicted in connection with that case. And always denied ever knowing about it. And then in this other case where he and his family were pictured sitting on a beach uh, in New Jersey at a time when all the beaches were closed to the public. So what is it that's hurting him? Is it that record or is it more ideological than that? 
Well, there is no liberal wing of the Republican Party anymore, but uh, he's he's a, he's a no hoper because uh, he is uh, he's out of step with the Republican base. Uh, un, you know, in this particular case, un, unfortunately, the scandals um, hurt him. I mean, he left office in New Jersey with very very low approval ratings. Uh, he's still polling at less than I think one percent nationally. But those scandals uh, and embarrassments pale against Donald Trump's attempt to overthrow the government of the United States um, and to incite a mob to attack the, the Congress in order to prevent his successor from uh, being sworn in. We have never in this country experienced uh, the, the failure of the peaceful transfer of power as we did under Donald Trump. So, yeah, I mean, Chris Christie did not cover himself with glory but, you know, set him side by side with Donald Trump. The reason he has no shot is that uh, the Republican electorate has spent uh, the last uh, six years rationalizing its support for Donald Trump. And the reality is that uh, rationalization remains a very, very powerful political force. And people are not willing to quit him or they're not willing to quit him with some for someone uh, who is uh, so clearly and dramatically repudiating everything that they backed over the last uh, several years, which is not to say that there's not a lane for someone, but it's not going to be Chris Christie, who I think is running what feels like a kamikaze attack. So this is interesting. He's no fool. He's no, you know, he knows politics. He'll know what you've just said, which is he is, as you put it, a no hoper. In which case, why is he running? Is it just to take down Donald Trump? And if so, does he do that with, with so that it helps someone else? Does he have someone else in mind who he's trying to help by being, in effect, the assassin who takes out Donald Trump? Now, this is a fascinating question because he, of course, would deny that he is just in the race to uh, to blow himself up, to be the assassin. Uh, but he, he is not he's not a dumb man. He's 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 a very savvy operator. I think that he is in this uh, to to take out Donald Trump. I don't know that he has a, another preferred candidate at, at this point. The thing to watch with Chris Christie is because he is so volatile and because he can be so aggressive and so effective in his attacks is whether or not he will do what he did back in 2016, where he effectively destroyed Marco Rubio. You see, everybody, I want the people at home to think about this. That's what Washington, D.C. does. The drive-by shot at the beginning with incorrect and incomplete information, and then the memorized 25-second speech that is exactly what his advisors gave him. So the question is, will he, when he gets on the debate stage, and by the way, he will never be on a debate stage with Donald Trump. Donald Trump will never get on a debate stage with, with Chris Christie. Because he'll be too frightened to do it. Well, exactly. He's not going to debate probably at all. But will Chris Christie then uh, turn on one of the other candidates uh, who is clogging up the lane? Will he attack Ron DeSantis? Will he attack Glenn Youngkin? Will he go after Mike Pence? He might not be able to help himself. So at this point, I think that's a very interesting question. What does what does Christie think he, that he's doing? I watched him the other night and I saw a man who absolutely relished letting it rip about a man he holds in in complete contempt. The person I am talking about who is obsessed with the mirror, who never admits a mistake, who never admits a fault, and who always finds someone else and something else to blame for whatever goes wrong but finds every reason to take credit for anything that goes right is Donald Trump. Saying things that no other uh, Republican official has been willing to say out loud. They may say it in private, 
But Chris Christie is saying all of that quiet stuff very loudly. Yeah, I mean, even going after family members, which is normally a bit taboo, but he attacked Jared Kushner and Donald Trump's daughter Ivanka saying the grift from this family is breathtaking. So this shows you he is not going to pull any punches. He told one TV interviewer this week that he was going to make any promise, any oath, any vow he had to make in order to get onto that debate stage, which you've been mentioning. That uh, There is now a date set for that, August 23rd, the first TV debate of, of, uh, among Republican candidates in Milwaukee in Wisconsin. Uh, to qualify for that, you have to show national strength, uh, meaning not just poll numbers in this or that state, but across the board, a certain threshold. I think it may be quite relatively low, but you have to clear it. And also a number of donors. I think it's 40,000 donors across the country. Is he going to be able to clear that threshold and achieve his dream, which is to stand on that stage throwing punches? I don't know. Well, um, you know, given given the numbers right now, he's going to get a lot of free media attention over the next few weeks because he is doing something that nobody else is doing. I think he won't have a problem getting the donors. Will he be able to move above that threshold in the polls? We don't know. Um, but again, I think people need to understand that if you fantasize about Chris Christie and Donald Trump, you know, going at it, you know, one on one, that is just n- simply not going to happen. Donald Trump is, you know, he's supposed to be allegedly he is the fighter, you know, that he is the only one who can who can uh, make America great again. But you'll notice that uh, when it comes to debates, he doesn't want to show up. And when it comes to testifying, he doesn't want to go under oath. So I don't expect that he's going to be he's going to be on that stage at all. No, I wonder though if I was in Ron DeSantis HQ, I might be wanting to slip a few million dollars to Chris Christie because him being there taking shots at Donald Trump, weakening the front runner, maybe that helps the guy who's currently in second place. Well, that's true. And um, of course, Ron DeSantis also has to think what happens if uh, if Chris Christie looks around, doesn't see Donald Trump and figures, I'm going to go after you. Because Ron, Ron DeSantis is a target-rich environment, especially for somebody like Chris Christie, who has also been the governor of, of a major state. So we don't know what uh, you know how this is going to play out, who actually benefits from this. But you know what I said yesterday uh, was, and going back to your question about who is Chris Christie, Chris Christie is a deeply flawed but extraordinarily talented political figure. And uh, even though in the last few years, many of us have focused on on how flawed he has been, uh, it, it, what we saw this week was an indication that uh, he is he's a gifted orator. Um, he's he's all out of bleeps to give. He has nothing to lose. And so he's very dangerous for Donald Trump. Yeah, and he can do retail politics quite well. One day I'll tell you about me, my going to see Bruce Springsteen in New Jersey and there in the bleachers dancing away to Bruce Springsteen was New Jersey Governor um, uh, Chris Christie. And he's just, he's able to pull that off in a way that's very forced for Ron DeSantis. Let's move on to the other entrant uh, into the race, the former Vice President Mike Pence. Mm. What lane, <laughs> that laugh is very telling, what what lane does Mike Pence want to be in? Because we've talked about these different lanes in this contest. What lane does he want to be in? And is he too to be filed under no hoper, do you think? The, the rationale behind Mike Pence's candidacy continues to be a mystery to me. I think that uh, in, in many ways, Mike Pence is one of those Republicans that is in denial about how much the Republican Party has changed. I think that he is 
you know, he is and people like Paul Ryan are living in a pre-Trump era where they imagine that the Republican Party is the way it was back in 2015, where they can run as a Reaganite. And so you you have Mike Pence, uh, who's doing something very unusual, which is to be a, a vice president running against the man who actually put him in, 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 in into office. But I think we saw the problem with Mike Pence yesterday. He starts off with actually a very spicy uh, announcement where he goes after Donald Trump and essentially says he's unfit for office. That anyone who puts themselves over the Constitution should never be president of the United States. And anyone who asks someone else to put them over the Constitution should never be president of the United States again. By the end of the day, though, uh, Mike Pence had essentially face-planted because he has asked uh, two pointed questions. Number one, what do you think about the potential indictment? Uh, and the indictments are imminent of Donald Trump. And he's, you know, he made the case that uh, it would be wrong. But I, I would just hope that uh, there would be a way for them to move forward without the dramatic and drastic and divisive step. To actually hold uh, Donald Trump legally accountable for any crime that he's committed so much for, you know, equal protection under the law. And then he was asked, well, will you support uh, Donald Trump if he's the nominee? And ultimately, he said yes, as a Republican. Now, now, Mike Pence has claimed in the past that he is. I'm a Christian, a conservative and a Republican in that order. But when it comes right down to it, he put party loyalty at the top of the list, and despite everything that he just said about Donald Trump, basically he's going to wear the Republican jersey and he will support him uh, in his return to power if he wins the nomination. So what is the rationale behind his candidacy? He just it, This is where he's so different from Chris Christie. Chris Christie has decided, this is who I am. This is what I'm going to say. This is what I'm going to do. And Pence is kind of still weaving all over the road from side to side. And 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 in a way, Pence is in the majority in that Republican field. As you've been saying, most of them just don't dare go fully, full-bloodedly after Donald Trump. You can see why that's particularly difficult for Mike Pence, because he was loyal to him for, for all but that, you know, the 11th hour and the 59th minute but just i mean stepping back from specifically from pence and the whole field why are they all so frightened of being direct and doing a chris christie and going directly after the guy's front runner normally in politics you just aim your fire at the guy who's in front because that's the way you get to be in front why are they all holding back well you know part of it is the failure of collective action if they all uh were to would do it they would have some some courage but the, the the cowardice uh, has really become ingrained in the party. It's kind of almost the muscle memory. And I think what they say to one another is, well, we could do this, but we'll end up like Liz Cheney or we'll end up like Adam Kinzinger. Because most of the strongest uh, Republican critics of Donald Trump are no longer in office. They have been purged. This is a party where the it doesn't matter whether you're a liberal or conservative. What matters is, are you loyal to Donald Trump or not? And the road is just littered with the bodies of other Republicans who've taken him on. So this is focused the mind marvelously among many Republicans that they're unwilling to do this. But if, in fact, you did have and, and, and I want to make it clear, though, we may be entering a new phase of this campaign. I mean, there are some some unknowns out there. You know, what will the impact of these new indictments be? The conventional wisdom is that nothing matters, that the base will rally around. That may not actually be true this time. 
We should just jump in there and explain that you're referring there to these reports that Donald Trump is about to be indicted yet again. Different case, this one. This is about his holding on to, his hoarding of classified records. And people remember that uh, FBI raid on the Florida resort of Mar-a-Lago. This is the, it's, it's said to be imminent that Donald Trump will be indicted in that case. And it will probably be uh, indictments for obstruction. We don't know whether they will actually use the the espionage law. Uh, so, you know, again, that that takes us into absolutely uncharted territory in American politics. And at the same time, there is this new willingness on the part of some figures to begin to take some tentative shots. Going back to Mike Pence, though, you, you talked about how he's in, in line with the majority of Republicans. Actually, he's 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 the guy who's trying to straddle the stools and has fallen between them. So he criticizes Donald Trump for what he did on January 6th, says he is unfit for office, and then then tries to uh, do this fancy tightrope walk where he says, but I oppose the indictment. What this means is that if you are genuinely horrified by Donald Trump and think that he is an existential threat to American democracy, uh, Mike Pence is not your guy. But also, if you are in MAGA world, you look at him and you go, well, no, you you have betrayed us. You are a traitor. You are Judas. You are unfit for office. So Mike Pence is making no one happy with this, which explains why he's about, what, eight, nine percent in the polls as a former vice president of the United States. It does seem as if Mike Pence has decided that his strategy is to aim for a very early win in one state in particular, namely Iowa. Uh, And Iowa, of course, has a long track record of picking uh, candidates who look a lot like him, Christian evangelicals, perhaps most famously in 1988, when Iowa Republicans went for the televangelist, the Reverend Pat Robertson, who won in the state in that year, and whose death actually was announced uh, on Thursday, age 93. But Iowa did also uh, hand victory to Senator, then Senator Rick Santorum, also to Ted Cruz. It does tend to back uh, evangelicals like Mike Pence, and perhaps that's Mike Pence's strategy. Well, that's exactly the, the, the strategy. And I think that is what he is thinking. And evangelical voters uh, make up a huge proportion of the Republican electorate as, as you just as you walk through. And this is this is Mike Pence's base. This is why he was put on the ticket and on on cultural issues. Uh, he and social conservative issues. He's to the right of Donald Trump on that. So he is hoping he said, look, I'm your guy. I support everything you support. You know, I am I am the purest Christian conservative running. But you've asked a very intriguing question, which is, are the evangelical voters voting on issues and on principles? Can they be persuaded or have they just decided that that they're in for Trump? And, you know, watch the pro-life movement and the way that they have been evolving. They're essentially now letting Donald Trump choose what the policy agenda is. I think there was some speculation they might uh, they might be unhappy with him on the abortion issue or they might break with him. That's not happening. Um, the, the loyalty to Donald Trump seems to trump any of those specific issues, which is a big problem for Mike Pence. Before we leave the, the, these new entrants, there is one other, uh, another governor uh, hoping to make it to the White House, Doug 
Bergam of North Dakota. Again, I hear a revealing giggle from you. But in an opinion piece for the Washington Post, the headline asked, Doug who? So tell us, Charlie Sykes, Doug who? I have no idea. (laughs) I I mean... (laughs) I was glad that you said that he was the governor of North Dakota because I probably couldn't have told you whether it was North Dakota or South Dakota. I mean, there are obscure candidates out there. There are no hope candidates out there. And then there is this guy. I have no clue what what his rationale is. This is a question that I've had about some of the candidates who are running, um, whether all of them are actually running for president or not. Some Some of the candidates are running for vice president as opposed to president. Um, Some of the candidates, I think, are running just to get bigger speaker's fees or because they want to sell a book or because they want to be relevant. Uh, There are these candidates that get into the race and they might have a different agenda other than actually winning the election. And I wonder how long they stay in this election. So they're sort of, you know, Potemkin Village campaigns that they say, I'm running for president, but that's not really what this is all about. Funnily enough, before any of these candidates entered the race, one person who some had thought would enter, uh, Governor Chris Sununu of New Hampshire, announced that he would not do that with a kind of shot across the bowels of the other uh, candidates in the field saying the stakes are too high to have a field this crowded. He was saying, look, I'm leading by example, I'm dropping out. And in effectively saying to the others with as little support as he had, Time to drop out. Do you, I, I mean, based on what you told me earlier, I think you think he's right. But do you think, to what extent do you think anybody is going to heed that warning? Well, this is also a flashback to 2015, where Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker, who had been briefly a front runner uh, and, and then faded, was the first candidate to drop out of the race against Donald Trump. But he made the exact same appeal. He said, it is time to coalesce against the front runner. You know, I am dropping out. Other people should as well. And yet nobody listened to him. And one of the things that people need to understand is how quickly all of this will be decided because of our primary calendar. Uh, so uh, un- un- unless unless people drop out uh, over the next several months, you're still going to be going into calendar year 2024 with a big uh, with a big field, the exact uh, kind of field that Donald Trump would hope for. And by the way, you can tell that he likes the idea of the big field because he said, even though he attacks Ron DeSantis and he attacks Chris Christie and he attacks Mike Pence, he has had nothing but nice things to say about Nikki Haley, Nikki Haley running um, and uh, and Tim Scott. Welcome Tim Scott. And uh, which is why I think that Tim Scott is more likely to be running for vice president than for president. Charlie, we always like to ask our guests on the podcast a what else question, something um, completely different. This week, Tucker Carlson made his post Fox News debut with a show on Twitter, uh, taking very direct aim in really controversial language against, for example, Volodymyr Zelensky of Ukraine. We can talk about that. But overall, what's your impression of this new post Fox Tucker Carlson and to what extent do you think he remains a big power in Republican politics? Well, he remains a power in Republican politics, but it's hard not to feel that he has been diminished by all of this. He he goes on Twitter with this very low production value uh, screed about uh, Vladimir Zelensky. That doesn't mean that he does not have a constituency, but uh, it's a far cry from the platform that he had on Fox News. And I thought it was extraordinary that he chose uh, for his debut on on, on on Twitter to launch this 
viciously anti-Semitic attack against the Jewish Ukrainian president. I mean, you know, talked about, you know, you know, sweaty and rat-like and a persecutor of, of Christians and then advancing various conspiracy theories. So there's, there's always going to be people that will follow Tucker Carlson down these sort of rabbit holes of, of extremism and, and conspiracy theories. But I think it's going to be smaller and smaller. We should also point out that Fox News uh, said yesterday, uh, wrote a letter saying that he is in violation of, of his contract, that he was contractually obligated not to compete with them. And so you're going to see some very messy litigation. Uh, this, is, this is not going to go away anytime soon. Are we going to look back on him two, three years from now and say that uh, he's basically supplanted Alex Jones or some other fringe figure on social media? rather than being sort of the the megasaur that he was on Fox News. Charlie Sykes of The Bulwark, thanks so much for talking to me on Politics Weekly America. It's been fun. Thank you so much. And that is all from me for this week. The producer is Daniel Stevens. The executive producer is Maz Ebtehaj. I'm Jonathan Friedland. Thanks, as always, for listening. This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.